Hi, and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators, home to NARC Troopers. If you like today's episode, visit me at narctroopers.com, where you will find a lot of resources to help you on your recovery journey from narcissistic abuse. Today, we're going to talk about what happened while I was sleeping Time is the greatest loss after the narcissist departs. You know, recovery from a relationship with a narcissistically disordered partner is a process, a long and complex process. After nearly four years since I lost my ex-husband, who was a narcissist, um, you know, I can say that it's still a work in progress for me. You know, it seems like a lifetime when you factor in the years that, you know, that I've spent uh, in the shared fantasy mutual psychosis of the narcissist bubble, then it's really more like two decades that are just lost. And uh, so let's just say that that's a substantial amount of time that was frittered away and can never be recaptured. We can't set back the clock. There is something profoundly tragic when we lose days or months or years or decades of a life because we fell asleep at the wheel. I have many regrets. And while I try to be kind to myself for falling prey to such a person with profound mental disorders, you know, it is the loss of time that marks these faux pairings more than anything else. The losses are insurmountable. Family, friends, children, career, home, dreams, future, marriage, safety, respect, trust, love, and so much more. All casualties of the dysfunctional partnering. After such inordinate amount of time is spent researching, processing, writing, praying, weeping, struggling, manifesting, raging, surrendering, grieving, planning, dissecting, denying, negotiating, begging, accepting, and cycling through a plethora of emotions that are too layered to name. I think I may be getting closer to restoring a new improved self and being able to achieve freedom from this, this, the haunting days that I have spent in a fog. Only after doing all of those things, all of them, for four long years. Now, one of the last bits of work that we have to do to recover and become whole is, you're not going to like this, I think it's forgiveness. And that is the focus of my current endeavors. Forgiveness. Forgiveness to myself for losing so much time and so many crucial people that I loved so much. Gone, you know, things in my life ruined. I, I have to forgive myself for falling victim to this. I have to forgive myself for volunteering to participate and for sticking around so long when everybody 
and their dog and cat knew what was going on but me. Or maybe I did know and I just refused to do anything about it or acknowledge it because I was so trauma bonded and addicted to um, the peptides and the dopamine and I had some kind of Stockholm syndrome. Who knows? It was terrible. Um, but that's important, you know, to be able to forgive ourselves. Um, and then we also need to forgive them. Yeah, that's a tough one, right? We meet helpers along the way. One of mine is a fellow medium writer. His name is Thomas Wedge. He makes a poignant assertion about coming back to ourselves and doing the work to own ourselves after something like this. And here's what he says. He says, the idea that you must suffer or feel the suffering of the perpetrator to reach a point where you can be compassionate for his illness, which turns out to be the exact compassion point you need to reach to forgive yourself. You do not have to, um, you do not have a self uh, to forgive right now. He took that away from you. How do you forgive yourself when there is no self to forgive? This is what the narcissist lives with day and night, stealing a self from you or from whoever his supply is and allowing him to live as you where you have vanished. So I think these are wise words. I'm simply not at that place yet. I have more work to do on it because I don't think, I mean, I'm so close to, to the um, accepting what I just read to you about acknowledging that he needs to be forgiven for being mentally ill and damaged and, uh, a, you know, a victim of trauma himself and, horrible things happened to him and he suffered and, and he chose a way out that was not the right choice, obviously. But, uh, you know, what child always makes good choices, right? And when these choices are made, these bargains are struck and, and they dance with the devil, so to speak, and murder themselves. They're still just children when this happens. You're going to hold them responsible that for that? I'm trying to come to terms with that with like, I want to hold him responsible. I want to demand culpability and all of that. But, you know, I think at some point you just have to accept maybe that's not the case. Maybe that's something that, that you don't get to have just because you deserve it or you want it. It's, that's how things should be, but they're not like that. So this is my roadmap for achieving forgiveness and wholeness. All of us who have been hollowed out by a ravenous narcissist need to pay close attention and use these insights to navigate forward in your recovery. So here we go. If we can't reclaim the identity they stole from us, we must go inward and create a new one. Okay, this is the first idea, precept. Uh, notion that we have to accept. You know, they did take a chunk, if not all of us, away and claimed it for their own and it's gone. So we have to create something new. In regard to finding a self, 
uh, Wedge says, this is the exact same struggle of knowing ourselves in the beginning of our lives. To recover from the narcissist, we have to go through an older version of self-actualization. I am separate from you. You are not my parent. You're not my father. You're not my mother. You're not my child. Even though I experienced unconditional love from you, maybe for the first time in my life, it turns out it wasn't unconditional. You were just mirroring me. It was a very good imitation, but being my own person and not being a part of you is more important to me than your fake unconditional love. Yeah, at some point we have to get to that place where we can, can embrace that idea. Dr. Sam Vaknin calls this separation individuation and says it is an integral part of developing a sense of self outside of the symbiosis and enmeshment with the initial caregiver, usually the mother. And then without this separation, there is no concept of self as a separate entity. The person within PD tries their whole life to recreate dynamics through enmeshment and parentification that allow them to, to get this separation and individuation that they never got when they were supposed to. And you know what? It never works. Object constancy, or in the case of the disordered narcissist, you know, um, marks the development of an internalized mental model of the mother, which unconsciously accompanies and supports the child even when they are physically separated. In addition, the sense of individuality begins to develop. The degree of ambivalence in the internalized model implicates the formation of a healthy self-concept. Um, the person with NPD never completed this process that I just described here. They just didn't do it. Okay, number two, big idea. This is big idea number two. Decipher why we stayed and participated fully in something so delusional and dangerous. When we lost everything, it cost us everything. And then we have to forgive ourselves for doing that. You know, it's difficult to imagine what compelled us to remain in such a toxic reality with such a hollow human for such a long time. Most people who become ensnared in the disordered person's web are vulnerable for a reason. Yeah, they are starved for love and lacking the tools needed to navigate life successfully. They're looking for external validation. Borderlines, for example, end up so often with narcissists because the borderline seeks the love of God and narcissists pretend that they are God. Many of us who were vulnerable to these narcissists in the first place have similar issues of seeking this external validation instead of being able to fill our own cup, so to speak. Codependents, borderlines, and others like that who cannot self-regulate their own emotions and they feel incomplete without their this mother's validation or whatever that they never received or just really anyone's validation, they must acknowledge this 
and work to build an inner landscape that supports autonomy, individuation, and self-reliance. In that way, we're sort of like the narcissist. We're seeking the, some of the same things. It's just that we have the ability to claim this and manifest this and make it happen. Whereas a person with narcissistic personality disorder, psychopathy or sociopathy does not have that option. Clearly, not all targets and victims and volunteers have issues with a fragmented, unstable attachment style, but many of them do. People with NPD often gravitate to strong, dynamic, successful people to assimilate their traits as their own. Often, these dynamic personalities have weak boundaries that allow the narcissist to poach their personality and core traits. Mm -hmm. That's what happens. The narcissist uses entrainment to condition or train their mate in order to render them supple and open to handing over all of their treasures. They are experts at manipulation, exploitation, future faking, love bombing, pity plays, and other mind games and energetic controls. Intermittent reinforcement is another factor. The bad times followed by good times. This creates dopamine flooding into your brain, into the brain of the victims slash volunteers as they experience enormous relief and euphoria when the bad stuff ends and the period of good replaces it, right? It's not all bad. If it were, you couldn't survive that. There's got to be kindness and goodness and yumminess inserted in there in between the abuse. This is the stuff that trauma bonds are made of. You become addicted to that on a cellular neurochemical level. When I hear accounts of narcissists being mean to their partners and nice to everyone else, I think they're getting it wrong. Maybe some overt narcissists that are really more like psychopaths are raging, intimidating miscreants who force you in to walk on eggshells and all that. But I think, you know, like I said, these are probably your psychopaths or psychopathic narcissists. Your covert narcissist is much more common these days, it seems like. And even at their worst, they slide the blade in with a smile. Could you please be still so I can slice you open and slay you without such a mess? <laughs> they may say to you. Or they may do unconscionable things, immoral, depraved, perverse, hurtful acts of betrayal. But it is often so insidious and covert and sneaky and passive aggressive that the partner never has any real proof, only a gut feeling that something is off. They do it with such a saccharine, sweet falseness and cognitive dissonance, you know, that is what often is the result of that. Because, you know, how could such a sweet, sweet, polite, courteous, kind, loving person do such a horrible thing, you know? They're usually somewhat charming and wonderful most of the time when they're not up to doing, you know, terrible, terrible things. So you become brainwashed. You become a love junkie with some version of Stockholm Syndrome. Addiction is a multi-layered and powerful 
thing. And, you know, you would rather have the, the false fantasy than the cruel reality of, of the real world. So you just weather the bad to get to the high of the good stuff. Okay, here's another one. Big idea number three. Big idea number three. Here it comes. Accept that they are mentally unwell and incapable of functioning like a whole and healthy individual and then forgive them. Whew, that's a tough one, right? People with NPD have cognitive deficits and identity disturbances that rendered them unable to live in the reality that neurotypical people live in. Normal childhood development stages did not happen, and they are forever frozen at an early age between two and eight. Their maladjusted and maladaptive ways that they have come up with just to survive have made them predatory, empty, uh, just insatiable, and deformed. Again and again, I hear the plaintive cries of the victims. When will they hoover me? What can I do to hurt the narcissist? My narcissist is cheating with multiple women. How can I make them stop? If I cause a narcissistic collapse, will the narcissist be normal? How can I get my narcissist to agree to therapy? Okay, everybody, stop it. The nonsense is just never ending. All of these people seem to miss one very important fact. The person with narcissistic personality disorder has a disorder. Their brain is missing key parts required for normal functioning. They are damaged beyond repair. They are mentally ill. The things they are missing will always be missing. They can't change or do better or care more or lie less. They live in a faraway reality that is not part of this world. They abandoned themselves as children and no one is home. Their core is vacant. They know not what they are doing, only that they are not like other people. They are not your happy ending. You have to just accept that. Sit with it. Let it soak in. Marinate in it. Process what that means. Embrace the truth. And then forgive them. Forgive yourself for your part in it. And you did have your part in it. And then you let them go. They were never yours anyway. It was all just this crazy fever dream. Sweet while it lasted full of promise and hope and things that could never be. You must wake from this dream. Until you do, you're just a remnant of who you were before the narcissist and just as empty as they are. You may not be able to get back what they took from you, what you handed over to them, but you can regenerate a new self one that is stronger, wiser, and better. Wake up. Accept the truth. Life is too short to waste another day. Let's get busy, troopers. Much love. Bye.